on today's episode. Oh, hell yeah. That's right, we're covering Cat People, Putting Out the Fire by David Bowie for the 1982 film, Cat People. Finally, we're covering a David Bowie song on the pod. Let's start it. Welcome to The Song Will Go On, the podcast inspired by the songs, inspired by the motion pictures. I'm Paolo Grassini, and joining me today, cursed by her thirst to pod, ooh, otherwise she transforms back into a cat, it's my co-host Sofia Matano. <laughs> hey, Paolo. Sophie, the time has come. It's here. It's a David Bowie song on The Song Will Go On. I know we don't have to keep finding sly ways to talk <laughs> about him anymore. <laughs> now we get a full episode. Exactly. And by the way, talking about our full episode, we're continuing our Halloween spectacular celebration on The Ooh. Song Will Go On. I guess the whole month we're covering spooky songs. From spooky movies. Yes, Adam's Family was first with mm-hmm. Adam's Groove. And now, Cat People by David Bowie. And technically so, to call this your pick is a stretch, but it technically I'll throw it, this is your pick. I'll take it. Why, Sophie? Why in the world would you pick this song out of all the songs? Well, <laughs> the song is, spoiler alert, amazing. One of my favorite in David Bowie's catalog, and believe it or not, I had never seen Cat People, and I thought that this would be a good opportunity to dive into it and see what this movie's all about. All right, so if anyone has been hearing the pod, obviously we're huge David Bowie fans, yeah. both of us. So to we say, don't we don't do a good job of hiding it. So to say that this is your pick is a bit silly, but hey, it is technically. Before we get to the song, and I cannot wait, we have to give a shout out to our overlords. Yeah, the patrons of the Patreon, specifically our new members. Shout out to Ralph, Eric. And David at the vinyl score, our new supporters. We can't thank you enough. It's amazing every time we get a patron supporter. We're super psyched to keep growing the podcast. And that's the number one way to do it. We just released from Adam Grooves. We did a special bonus part of the episode specifically for Patreon. We're doing playlists, exclusive needle drops episode. We're really throwing everything we got there. So if you love what we're doing, head over to Patreon and support us. We have so much planned for that space. Another way you can connect with us, so right, our socials. That's right. We're on The Song Will Go On on Instagram, Twitter. We have TikTok. Or you can shoot us an email to let us know how you're feeling about the podcast at thesongwillgoon at gmail.com. Yes, we love to hear from you. Reaction to a specific episode, something we missed, something you want us to cover. like. And one great way of letting us know that you're enjoying the podcast is giving us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. That goes a really long way. I'm sure you hear all of your podcasts say that, but... You know, now that we actually have a podcast, (laughs) I found out that that is true. (laughs) (laughs) 
Alright, enough housekeeping. Let's get to cap people the movie before the song because you know how it is. We gotta talk about its creator. Yes, the movie. Alright, Sophie, you got some fresh movie setup. Just throw it there. Throw in the plate. All right. Let's go. Here we go. Cat People is a 1982 supernatural horror film directed by Paul Schrader and starring Nastasia Kinski, Malcolm McDowell, John Hurd, and Annette O'Toole. It is based on the 1942 film of the same name directed by Jacques Tourneau. You know he's a good director with that name, right? Yeah, I had to throw <laughs> a little extra spice on that one. <laughs> Schrader is our director on this film, but he began his career as a screenwriter and is probably best known for his multiple collaborations with Martin Scorsese. These include Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, The Last Temptation of Christ, and Bringing Out the Dead. Ever heard of him? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh, his most notable work as a director is probably American Gigolo, and his latest is The Card Counter in 2021, starring Oscar Isaac. You know, he might be a very important director in the context of soundtrack, because I think American Gigolo has a very... We'll get to that, but... It'll come up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very pivotal moment in marketing movies with movie songs. Oh, interesting. Well, okay, let's talk about the plot of our film. In the film, a young woman, Irina, travels to New Orleans to build a relationship with her long-lost brother, Paul. There, she learns that she and Paul descend from the ancient cat people. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> when she becomes attracted to zookeeper Oliver... Her sexual awakening brings horror when she discovers her lustful urges transform her into a bloodthirsty panther, and she must kill to regain her human form. Now she must determine if she can resist temptation or if she will give in to her desires. Dang, you actually really did a good job with the plot. Like, <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe the plot of this film without being silly. It it took a couple tries. <laughs> yeah, if I was a film exec, I would have like bought that pitch. I was okay. like, oh yeah, that's good. Okay. The film was released April 2nd, 1982, and grossed approximately $7 million domestically at yeah, the box office. and it was way more expensive than that, so... Well, okay, yeah, so it was a $12.5 million budget. It earned $21 million internationally, but yikes. For reference, Disney re-released their 1953 movie Peter Pan in theaters, and that made $7.3 million at the box <laughs> office. Like, they didn't even have to do anything. Thanks, so. <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, this is not a fair comparison, but just to show you how much money movies could make in that year, E.T. was the highest-grossing film of 1982, and that made... 359 million. That is a really, really, really unfair comparison. That was, that's like a phenomenon. I know, but what, but like, I was, when I was looking at the box office, I was like, well, inflation and like, I don't know, but like, no, (laughs) this is just an abysmal turnout at the box office. It's a hard movie to sell, too. It is. But seven. Like, even even Bowie with a hit song could not do it because that was released before the film. You know what? The song is so good. I would expect a couple more people to buy <laughs> tickets just for the song alone. But anyway, the reviews were actually mostly positive, uh, but not glowing. Most praised Kinski's performance, which earned her a nomination for a Saturn Award. Kinski herself, though, is a critic of the film. She described it as slick and manipulative at one point. The film is probably best known for its soundtrack, but you know how we do things here. We gotta talk film first, so let's get into it. I want to hear how you felt about this one, Paolo. This is really tough because this is that kind of film that it you need to talk about it 
in a, for lack of a better term, smart way. Hmm. Here at the song we'll go on. <laughs> We're in trouble then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Um, here we kind of try to examine like the context in the pop culture. We really, really don't get into film criticism. So I've been struggling to sort of like, how do I talk about this film without getting into that? I like the movie. Hmm. Just I'll, I'll say, I'll start that. But okay. one of the things that sort of connected that dot, because it's one of, to me, is one of those movies where you see it and you kind of need time to process it. And with our aggressive weekly release schedule, not a lot of time to processing sometimes. I'm literally just in the thralls of that processing. But I found a clip from Paul Schrader talking about the film. Hmm. And it really helped me to think about the film moving forward from that here. Okay. Would you tell us about the story of cat people? It's a very difficult story to relate because it's more in the, the nature of a myth if one is too literal about it, it sounds quite silly. So I'd rather not uh, give a synopsis of it because I think it kind of diminishes the, the visual uh, magic of the movie and lim it makes it a, more of a plot story than a, uh, than, a, than a picture story. Whose phone was ringing in the background <laughs> there? Where were they doing the producer's this interview? The like, cut the interview. <laughs> yeah. Who let cut the interview? We said no interview for Paul. That was probably his agent being like, stop, stop. Stop it, stop it. <laughs> that was the interview that cost the seven. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. But that really, to me, makes sense. Because once I sort of start thinking about the plot, does the plot work? Or just judging on that. If I step away from that, and if I thought about the visuals of the film, the themes of it, and the style of it, then, yeah, I really liked it. Like, I feel like this is a movie that works for me in an intellectual way, not necessarily a scary way. If I had a knock, it's like, I don't know if this is like a Halloween pick for me. It's just not a scary, but it's definitely a movie that I feel like I'll just keep thinking about it. And to me, that's always the best testament of a film, if you keep thinking about it. Yeah, so... I also, after finishing this movie, really didn't know how to feel about it. And when I kind of gave up trying to understand the characters or the plot, yeah. and I was just going off of pure vibes, <laughs> um, I enjoyed the movie a lot more because I wasn't getting hung up about all the, the things that I usually enjoy about movies, like characters and plot <laughs> and dialogue. Um, I, that's me being a little bit harsh. Well, it's not like those things are horrible garbage, you know? It's not like there's there's stuff there. It's just that we've talked on and off about certain moments in the film where we wish we're like, ah, if that thing did not happen on the plot, that character would make a lot more sense to me. Those are the kind of things we're talking about. And I I understand the the praise for Kinski's performance that we're coming yeah, in in the sure. reviews. She does a great job in the vulnerable moments. Um, I really believe her fear. And also the more predatory moments when she's becoming cat-like. Yeah. She does a great job with that. Ooh, and the, Sophie, the that's a good point. And the transformation scene uh, was really killer like even with the the practical makeup and the you know the contacts and everything she she sold it with her performance so two things dang i didn't think about that how great her performance was in terms mm -hmm. of flipping the switch because she's like you said very vulnerable at the beginning and right. then she turns into like a killer mm -hmm. the other thing you mentioned about that there's a, like a transformation and i'll say this over and over again i love practical effects it doesn't matter to me they age way better even, yeah even if they look crappy 
they, I'll take crappy practical over crappy CGI any day. So anyway, I found this magazine, Cine Fantastique, I think. They did like a feature on cat people at the time when it came out. Mm -hmm. And they were saying, they were talking about the practical effects and why. And apparently Alien, Alien came just before that, which featured the big chest ah. bursting out of the chest. And Paul Schrader said like, well, I really didn't want to do that. But, you know, in, in the hopes of making this film more commercialized or stuff like that, I guess we got to run with the times and we live in a you know, alien world now. And so we have to have some kind of like practical, oh my God. That's really interesting because I thought it was a very, it was definitely a choice that they made to have when the transformation, when, when the people transform into cats, instead of having it be like a werewolf situation where they grow fur and, you know, they get paws and where their hands should be, they instead are the cat explodes out of them like their human skin explodes and rips apart yeah. and the cat comes out and then when they change back they have a person inside of them who then rips out of the cat fur are which... you saying that you don't <laughs> understand how it works no i un i understand how it works because they made a point of showing us that autopsy scene where we can really tell cool. that there is a person inside of the cat but i just thought like wow what what a choice that is, instead of just having your classic werewolf transformation. This was my first time seeing Kinski in a role, just to go back to the acting performances. But this was definitely not the first time I had seen Malcolm McDowell. And when <laughs> he shows up in a movie, you know it's going to be messed up. <laughs> like, like, I know, right? Yeah, so uh, for those at home, McDowell is famously known for A Clockwork Orange, you know, among other just playing generally unsettling characters. Um, so when I, the second I saw him show up on screen, I was like, all right, <laughs> what are we in for? Like, we <laughs> Shout out to, speaking about Cass, Home Alone Dad, John Hurd. John, John Hurd on this one. No offense to John Hurd. He is a very handsome man. But like, I did not buy their chemistry at all. Like, this is the guy that you're going to like, A, lose your virginity to and B, become a cat for the rest of your life over because in the end she chooses a, being living in a cat prison instead of ha having yeah. sex with men and having to kill them <laughs> to become human again. Dang, harsh words for John Hur, I guess. No, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding. No, I no, just no, no, thought... No, I, I read in that same feature I read there were some other casting options. One of the producers said that even like David Bowie he had someone in mind more, like someone like David oh, yeah. Bowie, something like no, that. No, that's the way and to go. And I heard that and I was like, again, am I just a huge fan or is that like a really good idea? <laughs> Bowie is too interesting of a person to play that character. Like, unfortunately, that character, all he did was just like get phone calls being like, there was a cat sighted and then he'd run there and then there'd no, be no but cat. Like, how did someone <laughs> as cool as Bowie work out a zoo? You'd be like, what's going on here? Like, what does this guy do on his off time? Like, this guy's got to be up to like some crazy stuff it will be it will give you more intrigue like who is this guy yeah maybe versus yeah john her was like missing a little bit of that yeah how did you feel about the nudity in this movie it makes sense this the film explores the theme of like sexuality or the oppressed and obsessive nature of sexuality that's what it explores like i don't feel like you can't have a movie that explores those themes without interestingly so i watched the 1942 version 
to kind of understand where this movie was coming from. And in a way, I wish I'd watched that movie first. Obviously, has no nudity whatsoever. Um, but it is so restrained in the sexuality aspect. Like, there is no intimacy whatsoever until the very end when the woman transforms into a cat. So in a way, I, I was sort of like, well, if we're telling a story about sexual repression, but we're so sexually liberated in the telling of it with all the nudity, it was just sort of an interesting contrast to the 42 version, which only has a single kiss. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how you ended that was funny. I did read that Paul Schrader didn't really consider this like a remake. He considered it like a completely entire different film. He wasn't trying to adapt the original or remake it. He oh was no, but the, but the themes are there. Yeah, he was trying to do his own thing. I didn't see the original, but I read also the original has the theme of like xenophobia and stuff more in it. Like the, the fear of immigrants or someone that you don't know of. It's it's more baked in the original. Yeah, it could versus be. Versus the new one took that all out. And also the brother character, that's part that's only here right yes the malcolm mcdowell's character is completely original to this version yeah and the other tidbit that i read is they added that character because they feared that the film could be read as women's sexuality uh, have negative consequences like women who sort of act on their sexuality and stuff like that so they kind of divided that character created the brother one yeah i saw the same thing and they kind of said oh well it'll be sexist if a woman is the only person who has this sexual problem so let's create a male character with the same problem and i see what what they were going for there however this is definitely not a feminist film like we took one sexist situation <laughs> and i think we transplanted it with another because now this film has the inclusion of this like aggressive male masculine sexual force which is kind of trying to force her into this incestuous relationship so in the film, I left it out of the of the plot because I didn't even know how to get that in there. But basically, the uh, the brother character who she is coming to reunite with tells her, "Oh yeah, we're descended from cat people. So whenever we have sex, we turn into cats unless we have sex with other cat people." So he is sort of proposing that they enter into this incestuous relationship. But he doesn't tell her right away, right? I feel like at the beginning where she literally arrives at New Orleans, you're like, okay, trying to get a read of the film. And then literally he just sneaks up on her and like hits on her. You're like, wait, what? What, yeah, what, the, he what, I mean, what the hell? I guess he was like, I can't open with this night <laughs> one. Let's just test the waters. <laughs> and she's like, absolutely not to her credit bro yeah literally bro <laughs> literally bro dude this movie also kind of added in some weird lore about the cat people so in the original the cats were banished by this king in serbia um and they killed all the cats but the really clever cat people escaped into the woods and they lived on but in this version we have this like entirely silent scene of like young women being sacrificed to cats and either they're going to get mauled by the cats because they don't accept them or the cats are going to like have sex with them. I don't know, man. Like, why did we why did we have to sacrifice women to by cats? Way, apparently <laughs> that opening ate a lot of their budget. It was super complicated to do. They had to do this like huge composition and map painting to get the background also to get the sand blowing 
they had to use this thing where and then people were afraid that it had some chemicals so they had to reassure the actors and the producers like no you'll be fine wait it's so okay. people got like poisoned over this no they were afraid because <laughs> they were using some stuff to make the sound effect okay well you and know I what was like not worth it not worth not it not worth it, not like, worth it. Like... all of that being said i dig the horror elements of this movie there's definitely more horror elements than in the 1942 version, which is all kind of it's not a subtle movie, but it is because it doesn't show like is it aristocrats expo- exploding flesh? Is that the cat people like aristocrats cat people? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I love that movie. Our executive producer Pepper objected this segment. I'm oh, gonna no. throw it in there. I love dogs. You love dogs. You're huge dog lovers. I am. I'm team dogs. Like, forever. But I have to admit, dogs can never achieve the level of cool like a cat can. You cannot make this film about, like, dogs. Like, Oh, yeah. The movie Dog People would not be nearly yeah. as sexy as this like, movie. So, it's like, hats off to, like, cats that they okay. can, like, have this kind of movie made about themselves. Like, come on, dogs. Where are we talking, like, Airbud? Like, that's the dog hey, movie? Hey, whoa, wait, wait, wait. He's Nothing like, wrong he, with Airbud. He's, like, he's the equivalent of, like, khaki pants of coolness. Like, Airbud's not cool. I think he's cool. He can play basketball. No, no, no. I got to hand it to them. They're they're cool. They're cool. I still don't think these Panthers could play basketball, but that's fine. All right. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, this is what we're here for. Yes, it's Scat People by David Bowie. Are we ready, Sophie? I'm ready. Let's go. (laughs) But after we take a break, (laughs) 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 let's go, but later. We are back and it's finally time to talk about Cat People by David Bowie, a song that we probably thought we were going to cover like first five or ten episodes. Like when we made the podcast, we were like, oh, Cat People for sure. Mm -hmm. And we always know it was going to be the two of us. Yeah. So I want to see what you have for our song setup. Sophie, let's get it on the road. Let's go. Cat People, Putting Out Fire, is a new wave song by English singer-songwriter David Bowie and serves as the title track to Cat People. The music was written by the film's composer, Giorgio Moroder, and Bowie provided the lyrics. David Bowie is, where do I even start? (laughs) Uh, An iconic figure of rock music. There literally is a documentary called David Bowie Is, and they just filled the blood all the time, so he's a lot of things. His career spanned decades. He was a leading figure of the music industry and is considered one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century. He's known for his constant reinvention of his image, combining visuals with music, and his stagecraft. Some of his many hits include Space Oddity, Life on Mars, and Heroes. This is ground control to major tongue. You've really made the grave. Is there the best of the shadow? Is there life on Mars? Become the heroes just for one day.
During his lifetime, Bowie sold an estimated 100 million records worldwide, making him one of the best-selling musicians of all time. He's still on the top charts of top-selling vinyls. I think he's top 10. Oh, Paolo, you beat me to it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. In his homeland of the UK, he earned 10 platinum, 11 gold, and 8 silver record certifications, and earned 11 number one albums. In the US, it was a respectable 5 platinum and 9 gold, and as of 2022, Bowie was the best-selling vinyl artist of the 21st century. Oh, number one? Number one. There you go. Yeah. We contributed to I that. I know. How <laughs> responsible are we for that? <laughs> because I'm looking at your Bowie box set behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Giorgio Moroder is an Italian composer, songwriter, and record producer. An early pioneer of Euro disco and electronic dance music, he has been dubbed the father of disco. He's known for his frequent collaborations with Donna Summer as a producer of many of her hits, like Love to Love You Baby. I feel love. And bad girls, to name a few. He founded Musicland Studios in Munich. Uh, that's a recording studio used by greats such as the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Queen, the list goes on. We've mentioned Murder on the pod before because he was a titan of soundtracks and knows how to turn out a good movie song. Some of his soundtracks include American Gigolo, also directed by Paul Schrader. We talked about that before. And he also did Flashdance. That's Lady Lady by Joe Esposito. You He's heard. back again. <laughs> you heard a clip of that on our hey, You're the Best episode. Joe Bean Esposito. You're right. <laughs> uh, so check out our Karate Kid episode if you want to hear a little bit more about him. Maybe Lady deserves her own episode now. After, after that episode, I was singing Lady Lady for like three days. It's an earworm. Lady, Lady, Lady. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other credits of his include Scarface and The NeverEnding Story. We definitely need to do a never-ending story episode. <laughs> I love that song. Oh, yeah. He also releases his own music, such as Deja Vu in 2015, which features some current greats of pop music like Sia, Charlie XCX, Kylie Minogue, and the princess of pop herself, Britney Spears. Now let's fast forward to 1980. Bowie just released his album, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps, and decided to focus on projects outside of making music. He was the lead in The Elephant Man on Broadway, and he was getting praise for his performance, and he's gearing up for a Scary Monsters tour. Uh, but then, in 1981, John Lennon is murdered. Good evening, everyone. One year ago this very night, a tragic event that was felt around the world. It was one year ago, almost to the hour, that a lone gunman waited for his hero outside the Dakota Apartments on Manhattan's west side. In a matter of minutes, John Lennon was dead. His fans and friends held solemn vigils around the world then, as they're doing tonight, one year later. 
John Johnson is live at the Dakota, the scene of one such vigil. Roseanne, they are the young, they are the middle-aged. They are the people who didn't even know him, but who knew him well. The fans gathered here tonight who knew John Lennon through his music, through his songs, through his verses. They stand here tonight saying, thank you, John. Uh, that event affected him deeply, and he just left all of it behind and disappeared to Switzerland out of paranoia. Apparently, he hired an ex-Navy SEAL for a bodyguard and took classes in self-defense trying to learn how to identify potential stalkers. That's how paranoid I guess he was after the John Lennon thing. Huh. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't blame him. Do what you gotta do, Bowie. Uh, he also declined to record new music at this time. As we know, Cat People comes out in 1982, so clearly he agreed to one musical project. As we said before, Bowie provided the lyrics for the track and Marauder wrote the music. They recorded in Mountain Studios in Switzerland, which was owned by Queen, and their longtime producer, David Richards. So the single drops in April 1982 in different edits. There's a seven-minute version, which appeared on the soundtrack, and then a four-minute version for the seven-inch release. And a five-minute version appears with the movie, um, and that has some, like, added panther roars <laughs> embedded into it. <laughs> hey, they're really good. Yeah. <laughs> they're really good. Don't don't come at them, so. Yeah. Uh, the seven-inch single uh, reached 26 on the UK singles chart, and it stayed there for two weeks. In the US, it peaked at 67 on the pop singles chart and number nine on the mainstream rock chart, and it remained there for 20 weeks. Moroder and Bowie received nominations for Best Original Motion Picture Score and Best Original Motion Picture Song at the Golden Globes, but they lost to E.T. by John Williams in the score category. Well, yes, that's <laughs> one of perhaps the best score of all time. So, But in song, did they also? My personal favorite song, Up Where We Belong, from An Officer and a Gentleman. Love is It's not my favorite, I lied. Bowie included a new recording of the song on his 1983 album, Let's Dance. Apparently one of the reasons for this is he could not get the licensing for his album release, but another might be that he wasn't happy with the original recording. The song appears on multiple compilations of Bowie's work, which with Bowie's illustrious career of hits is saying something about the power of this song. But I wanna hear what you think, Paolo. Does this belong on the Bowie compilations or is it taking up valuable real estate? No, it belongs for okay. sure. What are you talking about? Pod but also, over. <laughs> but also, like a, bo a true Bowie's greatest hits, it's not like two CDs. It's like eight CDs box set or something. Hmm. Interesting, you say that. I'll start by admitting the first time I heard this song, it was perhaps where most people hear this song. Hmm. Inglorious Bastards. Ah, okay. I heard it as a needle drop, and I have to say, Inglorious Bastards for me was a very important viewing in the theater. Hmm. I was really getting into like film analysis, watching different films, just like, you know, I was insufferable basically. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm you, hearing. <laughs> if you went and saw a film with me. But I remember watching Glue's Bastards and five minutes into it, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And hmm. I'm not even that huge Tarantino fan. I was just like, like that first 20 minute whatever scene, just blown away, what am I watching? that I must have my men enter your home and conduct a thorough search before I can officially cross your family's name off my list. And if there are any irregularities to be found, rest assured there will be. That is unless you have something to tell me that makes the conducting of a search unnecessary. And when I thought I couldn't get any better, here comes this needle drop in the scene. 
And it's just like the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and since then, this never leaves rotation. Like this is constantly on, on, on playlists. Like this is, I'm not a stranger to this. I'm not reconnecting it. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like if we weren't doing the pod yet, I just listened to this last week. Yeah. It's, it's a classic. Mm -hmm. One hesitation I had about doing the podcast is I have such a strong connection to the Glorious Bastard Needle Drop. Because mm. it's one of the best needle drops. It fits perfectly in that film. I was kind of afraid of watching cat people that ruining, not ruining, but like altering my connections in Glorious Bastards or, or, or tampering with that. So I was a little bit hesitant, but no, oh, happy to report. I can, I can compartmentalize and enjoy okay. things. <laughs> Phew. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I first heard this song when I was 13 years old, when I got the Best of Bowie CD from Rasputin on Telegraph in Berkeley. And Store. I... Loved it. it. It's a great CD compilation. I highly recommend that track list to anyone getting into David Bowie. The first track had all the hits that you would expect. And the second CD, the experimental and unexpected tracks. So let me, let me put it was actually one of my favorite tracks on CD2. Now, interestingly, they put the original Cat People on there. They did not put the Let's Dance version. And... You know, actually, this is a great time. Let's compare these two versions, actually. Um, as we mentioned earlier, Bowie re-recorded this song for Let's Dance because he might not have been happy with the recording. Here's movie version. So that version is like spooky, ominous, well, yeah, the sexy. Tone. I mean, just his great voice. Tone. Yep. You know, you're like melting. Yep. And here's the Let's Dance version. Super different. I mean, the album is called Let's Dance. Yeah, okay, so, <laughs> so to his point, this is definitely a dance track. We've lost some of that spooky tone, which I personally think makes the song. Even outside of its connection to the horror movie, I think that lyrically it works better with that, but, you know, fine. But I hate to argue with Bowie, but I think they got it right the first time. They got it right the first time. I yeah. ultimately do like more the original, but here are some observations about why mm -hmm. the iconic with gasoline yeah i went on the piano and try to look at the melody yeah it's pretty impressive he basically with got like with he jumps mm -hmm. one whole octave ah and i've been putting on fire with gasoline With gasoline, those three notes keep going up. It's the equivalent of putting your feet to the pedal and flooring the pedal. The let's dance. They're doing version. the Mad Max, like throwing gasoline yeah, into, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> into the engine. But on the let's dance version, he takes his feet of the of the gas pedal. Like he I goes agree. with gas, and then he like takes it a little bit back, and I'm like. Not only does he take it back, but he thinks he cuts it short. 
the instrumentation behind it, I think, kind of swallows that vocal performance of the whole song, but particularly that line. I found a version of him performing the song in Sirius Moonlight Tour. And he doesn't do that thing of stepping back. He does uh, it like the original. He, good. He floors it. And it it's it's different. It works a lot better. Yeah. I mean, you got to give the crowd what they pay for. Look, the lyric says, with gasoline, how are you not going to, like, go out? Yeah. I'm kind of heartbroken to learn that Bowie might not have liked his vocal performance. Ever since hearing this song as a kid, I have always just been really drawn to it. Yes, actually, there was a moment when... I saw Inglorious Bastards and it sort of reignited my, <laughs> my yeah, uh, reignited my my deep appreciation for this song. And I actually think that its use in Inglorious Bastards gave it new meaning, which cat people didn't really do its service. But um, the more I reflect on this song, the more I feel like I don't like. Is this David Bowie's best vocal performance? Like purely vocally which because he didn't do the music here which i was actually shocked to learn i didn't i didn't know that this was marauder's music but like standalone vocal performance he just knocks it out of the park yeah. is this the best i don't know if it's personal favorite but i like fame a lot Here is easier to sort of say it's better because it has like like that octave jump we talked about. Like it has some technical difficult stuff, mm -hmm. which by the way, apparently it was only two or three takes. They did this in a couple of hours. Like Giorgio had the music already done. He came in the studio. They did two or three takes. What you're getting is like a live performance of him. And Giorgio has like very nice things to say about Bowie. Like, oh. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me at all because it, I think... It might be the Five Years documentary, but they, I don't remember who it was. It was some studio musician, I think, who just said, like, Bowie kills it in the studio. I have a pretty amazing anecdote about the making of this song. Oh, shit. Are you ready? It's story time. <laughs> well, since Bowie had retreated to Switzerland uh, and they recorded this song at Mountain Studios in Montreux, Switzerland. The studio that they were recording at was owned by Queen and their longtime producer, David Richards. So Queen was there in 82 recording their album, Hot Space. And one version of the story is they just happened to run into each other. And the other version of that is that Bowie knew that they were there and wanted to go talk to them about their label because he was unhappy with his and was looking to change. Um, regardless, they get talking and Bowie records some background vocals for their song, Cool Cat. We really have a cat theme going on here. <laughs> Um, the vocals didn't get included on the album because Bowie didn't like them. I guess this was a period of time when he was like insecure about his vocals. And anyway, <laughs> long story short, they start drinking and jamming and they end up writing a song. 
We all know it. We all love it. Under pressure. Isn't that so cool? Like, if not for this movie, we wouldn't have under pressure. Like, oh my God, you just floored about about those kind of tidbits. Yeah. And apparently it was sort of a contentious collaboration, unfortunately. But regardless, we still got a killer classic song out of these two great, one great performing group and one great musical artist. And, And I'm just, I'm eternally grateful to Cat People. Speaking about vocal performances, that's up there too. Like that, in terms of like rock music, like oh, both of them. Totally. That has to be on top of that. Yeah. And actually, the, the sort of scatting that Freddie Mercury was doing meant to be a placeholder to fill in with lyrics. And then they just ended up keeping the scatting because it just worked so well. I can see like uh, me being the person be like, Freddie, what are you talking about, man? This thing works. That's amazing. You got to leave that shit in there. Yeah. I mean, just goes to show Freddie Mercury saying nonsense is better than anyone else singing lyrics. (laughs) So speaking about lyrics, let's go to cat people because I found a cool quote about Bowie writing the lyrics for for cat people. He said, when talking about the film, he says, It works on a dream state. It feels like the kind of thing you go through at night. That's the way I took it lyrically. It's funny because the clip I played of Paul Schrader, he was talking about the same thing. It's like... It's just vibes, man. Vibes. It's a visual (laughs) thing. And that's what dreams are, right? It's almost like, for me, when I try to recall dreams to people, it's like you try to explain the plot and then the plot sounds silly. Of the dream. It's just about the feelings. But it's like you wish you could communicate what you were really feeling. The dream made you feel. I think that in a movie like this, especially, that's the right approach. Because he's not going to write a song where it's like, hey, so there's this lady and she's a virgin. And then she (laughs) explodes into a cat when she has sex. Like, you know, like you can't take that. (laughs) You can't take that literally. So a tidbit of knowledge that I found the drummer of this song, who performed this song, Keith Forsey, he co-wrote and produced Don't You Forget About Me, performed huh. by Simple Minds for okay. that. Okay. And also, he was the drummer for Giorgio Moroder. That one doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and co-wrote Flashdance, the ah. song. And then after the, that... Is that the What a Feeling? Yeah, What a Feeling okay. from Flashdance. And then he went on to have songs in Ghostbusters, uh, Never Ending Story. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of have quite a, like a soundtrack career in the 80s. Yeah, good uh, for him. But yeah, Don't You Forget About Me, another classic that will absolutely be covered and the song will go on at some point. Yeah. Uh, I feel like all of our episodes are just us telling the audience that we will be also be covering other songs. There's so many. I know. I know. Bowie's a big needle dropping movies. Oh my God. Countless. Not all uses are as successful. No, no, no. Absolutely not. But like, what are some of your favorites? Like, what are some that you would want to cover on the pod? 
this song actually comes from Let's Dance. I'm thinking Modern Love in Francis Ha. Yes, yes. <laughs> one of my, I love that film, one of my favorite films. That okay. needle drop is so good. It is not one of my favorite films. It's fine, but it's not one of my favorite films. I love it. I However, love. Modern Love, at least growing up when I first got that Best of Bowie CD, Modern Love was on there. And that was my absolute favorite song for years and years and years. When I met you, I asked you, what's your favorite Bowie song? And that was your answer back in the day, back in the day. Yeah, so I I stand by it. It's still a really solid song. However, even though it has two amazing songs on it, Let's Dance isn't my favorite Bowie album. So I think, I'm, you know, I might need to shuffle things around on my favorites list, but still really solid song and used really well in Francis Ha. You know one needle drop that really worked for me? What? And... I'd be really interested if we cover this in the pot to revisit it and see how I react. But at that point in my life, Heroes and Perks of Being a Wallflower really mm. worked for me. I like that film when it came out. I really liked it a lot. I haven't watched it since. I don't know if it holds up. That song specifically, how it used, it works so well. I don't know. I, I would love to revisit that and see how, if it still works, but. Oh my God, what is this song? Right, I have no idea. Have you ever heard this before? Never. I wish you could swim. Patrick, we've got to go through the tunnel. Sam, it's... Patrick, it's the perfect song! Sam, Mama Patrick says no. Patrick, it's Sam. It's Sam's thing. It's you. I'm begging you to I can see. What is she doing? Don't worry, she does it all the time. Well, I'll see your heroes in Perks of Being a Wallflower. And I'll raise you, <laughs> heroes, at least the German version in Jojo Rabbit. I think that that one really worked. That one, that one worked for me better. Probably the best thing about that film. What? Okay, no, there's not enough time. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> there's not enough time. We cannot move to answerable questions before we talk about Giorgio Moroder. Ah. He is quite the character in not only music, but soundtracks also. Oh, yeah. One thing that I love to do on this podcast is do a soundtrack compilation. <laughs> so... Here are his soundtracks, some of his soundtrack hits.
So that is this man's <laughs> body of work yeah. in soundtrack. Uh huh. Which leads me to return a bit here in the song we were on. Oh. Yes, we're talking about Mount Rushmore of soundtracks.、Mm. Okay, so last time we talked about this. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sophie. Yeah, who do we have? We have Diane Warren. Uh huh. Was made into the Mount Rushmore. Alan Menken still original. He still stands. Yeah. He's there. Madonna was introduced, and Brian Adams was kicked out. Yeah. And then Kenny Loggins was still left, sort of by default, because we still had not covered him.、Mm-hmm. We gave him the benefit of the doubt. And Georgia was also mentioned, but we were like,、ah, we still need to do some digging. Yeah. After this episode, I think he belongs. I I, I think、Ooh. I think he takes Kenny Loggins out because of those, he takes Kenny Loggins out. He doesn't take any of the other three out. No. But if we were to go on the street, I bet. Everyone could name a Kenny Loggins tune from a movie, and I don't think a lot of people could name a Giorgio Moroder. Okay, but that might be the case. But then you just start naming the songs, and they go, "Oh, oh, oh, okay, oh yeah, oh, oh right."、I、Versus、guess. the same thing with Diane Warren, where、yeah. when we play that, everyone's like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" Giorgio Moroder doesn't perform the songs. Yeah,、Versus、that's Kenny, fair. Kenny but but neither does Alan Menken. But I can hum. The, the score to any di- '90s Disney movie for okay,、you. but Alan Alan Menken. That's why he belongs in the Mount Rushmore. He's like I know. Okay, we can kick Kenny Loggins out if you now, want for now. But the- to my ear, I would rather listen to the Kenny Loggins mo- songs than I would some of those Marauder ones that we mentioned. Here's the nail in the coffin. I feel for my point. Okay, I'm that confident. I think Georgia Marauder is an instrumental figure. In making a pop hit song to promote a movie,、hmm. because you mentioned American Gigolo,、mm-hmm. I think one of the first occasions that song "Call Me" by Blondie. Yeah, I think I read this somewhere where that started a trend of having a pop single, as we did the '80s and the '90s. So, like, this is how we're gonna promote this song. We're gonna、yeah. put this, and we're it's gonna get MTV airplay or whatever. Like, let's try that. If if that is the case, if he was like an instrumental figure, like one of the first ones to be rushing this, like that alone gets you in the Mount Rushmore. If you have some hand in creating this trend, okay, I accept it. Sorry, Kenny, you might、yeah. be back though. But I think our Mount Rushmore should be Diane Warren, Alan Menken, Madonna, and Giorgio for now, and TBD. We'll、yeah. See what what happens. Okay, that's fair. All right, is it time for answerable questions? Yes, it is. Okay, here we go. Number one, <laughs> seven seconds in heaven. What seven seconds from the song gives you goosebumps? And what do you got? Cause so many options. Oh really? Oh,、well, I mean, we've already talked about it to death, but it's this. Okay, I, I went with the obvious one. I mean, just listen to that. Like, oh, it's so good. I did not go with that, even though we've talked about that part. Okay. I think there's a different moment here that I'm really impressed for this song. Here, let me play it. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh, you like that roar in there? <laughs> I like everything. I like everything. I feel like when this section of the song comes in, it's like a different gear that I was already going crazy for this song. You don't think it can get any better, and then you just add this 
other section that also the rhythm it really does sounds like cat like i don't that might sound crazy but it it does okay <laughs> I, I like that rhythm i also like whatever it is like a synth sound like yeah it sounds like helicopter blades like this song has so many of those tiny details that i love that like the beginning symbol slash like digitalized sim i don't know what that is but it sounds like symbols They sounds like fireballs to me, like whoosh. Really, the instrumental part of this also really works. Also, I did some research. Giorgio used the famous Jupiter 8 and Prophet 5. Again, they make an appearance huh. on our podcast. Shout out so, to you. <laughs> yeah, I know. you. The the machines that make that beep boop that you love. Yeah, so. This one I do. Favorite lyrics of each host sheds light on their favorite lyric. I feel like it's been a long time on the podcast since I actually had something to work with in this section. <laughs> and I say that with love. Obviously, lyrics don't determine if a song is good or bad. I just happen to really love lyrics. So this was this was a real treat. Um, here's what I ended up picking. See these eyes so red, red like jungle burning bright. Those who feel me near pull the blinds and change their minds. There's just so much imagery there that I, I almost love. Pick that one. <laughs> uh, the words feel good in the mouth to say. There's some alliteration there with which always piques my ear, and um, I like the rhyming pattern of the last line. I don't know. I just I just really no, enjoy. No, no, that. I love it, and I mean just that three and four verse. Mm -hmm. They see me near. Pull the blinds. Pull and the change blinds. Their minds. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like you said, like it. It's such good amount of storytelling. Yeah. But also an unusual ways i don't know the pull the blinds thing like that's not something you see commonly used but it works okay yeah i could see that i went with these tears can never dry a judgment made can never bend hmm. tiny amount of words communicate so so much <laughs> this song is very intense <laughs> has it aged well we asked ourselves if the movie or song has aged well like a fine wine. <laughs> I know, right? If anything, it gets better. It just yeah. keeps getting better. All right, this one. Underrated or overrated? Is a song underrated or overrated? <sighs> think I, about it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, this one you really... This one's a thinker. My gut response is that it's underrated because I love the song so much. But I don't know what more I could ask for out of this song in terms of appreciation. Like, I'm... I'm glad Inglorious Bastards used it. I think that that added a lot of meaning to the song because it was such a great needle drop moment. I I can't ask for more, so I guess I just have to say rated appropriately. Yeah, I have the same. I have neither because yeah, if the Inglorious Bastard needle drop would not have come, oh for sure you would have. Oh my god, this is one of the most underrated thing ever. Maybe but yeah, that made it super popular. It's in people's consciousness like it's 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 not like a hidden gem yeah holophone moment who or what had their best moment in pop culture with this movie and our song it can be anything a person a studio a film music genre so do you have one here i got one Hall of Fame moment for chance meetings because this song led Queen and David Bowie to make Under Pressure. Oh, <laughs> that it, that's it. That's it. That's, that's all it. I got. Lights out. Yeah. Cameras <laughs> off. That's it. That's it. No, no. That's yeah. That's a good one. I mean, also, I'll say it again. Hall of Fame moment vocally for Bowie. This one's way up there for me. 
No, your your Hall of Fame moments are so good. That I'm not <laughs> even gonna bother. That's it. I, I just had nothing. They were okay this time around. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll say yeah. that. Hall yeah. of Fame moment for Sophie. Yeah, picking Hall of Fame <laughs> moments. Remix. Which today's current artist or band will be your choice if the movie and the song came out today, Sophie? Okay, I was not looking forward to this question because what do you even say? I I feel like I'm just setting somebody up if they're doing a cover of this song, but. I picked a band that I felt like because they do a little bit of psychedelic rock that mm. they could handle the the tone oh, of this. Oh, I'm, I'm intrigued. And it's a band that I know that you know. Uh, it is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Are you kidding, Sophie? <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm really into that band right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think that they could do it. Definitely the movie version, not the Let's Dance version. I mean, I'm all for it. I've like signed me in. Sure. What's yours? Victoria Legrand, the singer from Beach House. I was thinking of someone who can charm your ass with the voice. I just think her voice has that je ne sais quoi texture okay. to her voice that Bowie has. Sure. Also, I support it. if we're talking about the low register, and like an unusual voice. She's a contra alto, which is the lower, around the lower register you can be for a female vocalist. Hmm, okay. She's pretty low on that. I, I think, she, I, I like that. I, I'm really confident with that one. Okay, like good. Will the song go on? Will the song live on and continue to be part of the pop culture? Should we count down? One, <laughs> two, three. Yes. yes! The song will go on and on and on. So if I have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's move on to YouTube comments. Yeah. Like always, we search YouTube to see what people are saying about the song. And here's what we found out. Let's start with the first one. I felt compelled to see a late night showing of cat people alone in Seattle. And I had to walk home from the bus stop through a rough part of town in the dark. Uh-oh. With this song pulsing through my blood, I felt my body moving through space, cat-like. And I recall thinking that if any stranger tried to approach me, I might have torn him to shreds. Wow. <laughs> That's intense. I bet people saw them and they're like, you know what? I'm going to steer clear of that guy. <laughs> this sounds to me like a woman. I read this comment as it was a woman. Like this song gave her confidence because they're like... This song gave her confidence to evade the incestuous relationship that her brother wants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's another one. One of my favorite Bowie tracks, an absolute barnstormer. His voice is like another instrument. An absolute what? Barnstormer. Barn Stormer? Barn Stormer. I looked this up on good old Urban Dictionary. Name originated from the spectacle of flying a plane through an open door of a barn. But apparently it can mean dropping a gastral ass bomb on someone in a closed space. I doubt that he was thinking that's what Bowie did with, what? with gasoline. I don't know. Similar to crop dusting, but taking place in smaller closed area like my office, apparently. 
But here's probably what they were meant. It could also mean, apparently barnstorming could mean something exciting or profound. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, you said with, with the airplane going through the barn, like, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. So apparently... But very specific yeah. type of exciting. According to Ben Holt, if you use it in a sentence, it would be, what a great movie. Yes, it was barnstorming. So apparently barnstorming is a thing. I don't know. Okay. Here's another one. I'm as straight as a ladder, but to be honest, I totally understand why men are attracted to Bowie. He's such an impressive person. He exudes sexuality. If I was gay, I would totally get why men and women think he's so badass and feminine and masculine. And at the same time, Cat People soundtrack of so many films, even Tarantino goes on about how he was totally absorbed in the song. Especially he wrote a whole 20 minute movie scene in Glorious Bastard around that song. Especially as a homage <laughs> to Bowie. Bowie was a good looking, it's amazing, talented <laughs> man who I can't help but kind of worship. He actually hated the kind of man he was. He what? was totally being worshipped like a god. He was totally down to earth, even though he was seen as an alien. The man who fell to earth was totally down to oh, earth. No. LOL. I love his sound and vision. This will be my funeral song 100%. <laughs> it's going to be all of our funeral songs after <laughs> waiting for you to finish that comment. <laughs> I feel like that was a performance on par with Bowie honestly, Gasoline. Honestly. It took a lot to read that Wow, comment. I don't even know what to unpack. I mean, so much happened. Uh, this person was on speed writing this. Uh, maybe. Clearly. Here's a shorter comment for sure. Thank you. Don't know why, but I have always thought this is a very sexy song. What do you mean, don't know why? <laughs> My question is going to be, is this a very sexy song? Yes. Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Next one, moving on. This is the coolest song I ever heard. Makes me want to get into my 454 Chevy in Florida. Pedal to the metal. I don't know what car that is, but I, don't, sure. I have no idea. Yeah. Also, got me thinking, why hasn't a car company used this for a commercial? Like, can you well, imagine? Well, like, they couldn't do it in California soon because they're going to be all electric cars. So well, I mean, we, we can't they, have gasoline. Yeah, but maybe they <laughs> could be like, your car, electric, whatever, this one gets you everywhere with gasoline the new chevy whatever with whatever. not that much gasoline <laughs> being used that's great gas mileage <laughs> maybe they do it as a bit without gasoline yeah there you go oh god <laughs> uh, i'm sad that's it for our episode i'm david bowie uh, um i, I can't guess we'll just have to do another one soon <laughs> i know i can't i can't wait to go back um hopefully our audience also wants to Join us on this journey of, of Bowie songs. But thank you all so much for listening. Sophie, thank you so much as always for your amazing work and research on the episode. It's been a pleasure. A reminder, keep the conversation going with us. We're on socials, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, at the song will go on. Even stuff that doesn't make it to the episode, that's where we post it. Keep chatting with us there throughout the week. And obviously, if you're really enjoying the podcast, drop us a line and look us up on Patreon. Help us grow this podcast. Thank you all for listening and we'll catch you on the next song. Peace out. The Song Will Go On is written, researched, and produced by Safi Matano and Paolo Garcia. Theme music is composed by William Russell. Consulting producers are JP Lee and Jonathan Fisher. Recording, editing, and mixing by Safi Matano and Paolo Grassini. The Song Will Go On is a Gigawatts podcast. You can find Gigawatts on YouTube and on Instagram at gigawatts underscore YouTube.